0: Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company. They offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com.
1: Hi, I'm Lee Mack, and this is Sober Awkward.
0: The kettle's boiled, Vic. Great, perfect timing. Just a dash of milk for me, please, mate. Here you go. Shall we get started then? Have you ever woken up on a Sunday morning and said, I'm never drinking again, and then found yourself waving 50 bucks at a barman by happy hour?
2: Are you wondering why everyone else can stop at one ...while you head to a dodgy after-party with a weird bloke called Disco Dave. If so, it might be time to take a deeper look at your relationship with your reliable social crutch, alcohol.
0: On each episode, we'll investigate our own dysfunctional dealings with booze... ...and find out if it's possible to stop this deeply ingrained habit before things get too messy. Yep.
2: Yep. We're going to open up a shame shed of humiliating drinking stories to help you understand why waking up from a booze coma each weekend with a kebab sticking out of your top pocket might actually be negatively impacting your health.
0: Hamish and I are here to delve into what it's like being sober, an unwanted warts and all look into why giving up those cheeky pints or putting down those mummy wines will make you feel happier, help your anxiety and mental health and turn you into the most sparkly authentic version of you. Won't that mean I become boring though, Vic? Well, Hamish, we'll just have to wait and see. I'm Victoria Vanstone. I'm Hamish Adams-Cairns. And this is Sober Awkward.
2: I figured an appropriate place to start this episode, Vic, given the fact we're talking to a celebrity was with a quick story about how I was made to feel like a celebrity this week. Oh,
0: you would love feeling like a celebrity, Hamish. It's everything you've ever dreamt That's of. That's it. Ever since I was a wooden boy. Ever since you were the boy, the wooden boy. This has really never happened to me, I would say.
2: But I, I went out to a coffee at a place called Bobby Lane, down the road from you. Yep. And I ordered my coffee and the girl that came out to bring it said, I recognised your voice when you first came in. I listened to the podcast. I have done since the start and I absolutely love it. Yes. I couldn't believe it.
0: How brilliant, Hamish, to be recognised at last. It never
2: happens. I was (laughs) gutted that you weren't there because I said to her, she was called Kelly, she was wonderful, and I said, have you met Vic? I assumed that you would would know her because you're both sober and live near each other. She said, no, I would die if I met Vic. (laughs) So I texted you, Vic, you need to get here quickly. That's weird. I never thought maybe that was unfair, but then you couldn't come because you were... Being a mother, so I got you to send a little video. I did. And I sent it to her, and it made her day.
0: Yeah, and it was a very awkward v- video of me waving way too much. You wave
2: a lot in videos. Yeah, I, I like point waving a lot when I dance. You wave a lot in a video.
0: I like waving,
2: and it wasn't even your strong hand. It was your your slightly. Dodgy hand. It was my dodgy hand.
0: Oh, well, it's just
2: a, a smaller wave. It is. Anyway, but, but, that's not why you've tuned into this episode. The no. reason you've tuned into this episode is because you want to listen to our guests. So, Lee Mack is probably our most requested guest ever. I've lost count of the amount of times we put a call out, out saying, hey, guys, who should we interview? Who'd be the best sober person to get on the podcast? And usually the answer is Lee Mack. Vic, how often do you send emails to celebrities asking ask them to come on the podcast?
0: I send about 10 emails a day. How often do they answer? Never.
2: This was the only time ever that we got an answer, being like, yeah, sweet, no problem, I'll do it. Well,
0: because we had Fat Boy Slim on, it's quite good, you know, to say, oh, we've had Fat Boy Slim on, we'd love you to be next.
2: A shameless name drop, Is that it's, what you're saying? It, yeah? it's, it's exactly <laughs> what it was,
0: yeah. <sighs> to be honest, we knew Lee was coming on back in June, so I've had to keep it under wraps for ages, which has actually been really painful. I've loved Lee from afar for decades. I know that sounds a bit stalky. slightly pervy. Perhaps it is a little bit. (laughs) I was a little nervous about this one, Hamish. He's a household name for many reasons. He's one of the sharpest comedians in the UK, an incredibly talented and witty writer, and of course, he's proudly sober.
2: As you'll soon hear, Lee's story is not one of hitting rock bottom. He was a normal drinker like me who one day picked up a book and hasn't drunk alcohol since. And that book? was Fifty Shades of Grey. No, it wasn't. Imagine.
0: Imagine if yeah. that's the book that turned it around for you. Though. Yeah, no. You'll hear more about that book in the episode. Anyway, Not, what, for, not that book. Not that book. No, anyway, for those of you that are less familiar with the career of Lee Mack, here's a quick roundup.
2: Alongside Tim Vine, Lee wrote and stars in Not Going Out. It's not called Not Giving Up, which I mistakenly called it during our chat. The series premiered back in 2006, has won a Rose Door and RTS Award and has now been running for 13 seasons, making it the second longest running British sitcom behind Last of the Summer Wine.
0: Lee has been team captain on the legendary panel show Would I Lie to You since 2007 and has hosted a podcast on Buddhism and mindfulness with Neil Webster called I Can't Believe It's Not Buddha since 2020. Which I got the name wrong of too, despite it being one of the first podcasts I've ever listened to. I would love to say that I got my bit wrong after you got
2: yours wrong to make you feel better and a little less of a tit. But I just messed it up too.
0: I can't believe we got the names wrong of his biggest achievements during
2: the podcast. We did get his name right throughout. (laughs) One syllable name. Lee. Mac, we can get that right Yeah, I didn't call him Margaret once No Which was a bonus (laughs) He's also appeared on Taskmaster, is an author and a TV presenter And he hosted the Queen's Plastum Jubilee Party at the Palace To over 13 million viewers Once we got over the slight awkwardness of Lee thinking that Vic and I were a couple uh, We thought a natural place to start our chat would be with the frankly ridiculous size of Vic's head
0: Yeah, it's pretty massive I, I wanted to be a jockey at 1.2 but they didn't have a hat big enough to fit my massive head
1: ah that was it end of your career
0: end of my career because yeah.
1: i suffer from i yeah, suffer got... from this as well do you know what hat size you are
0: well they're always yes. 57 57 doesn't fit me they're always the same size and i'm like why don't you have not everybody's head is 57 have you got any 59s perhaps a 60 they shake their head at me and send me yeah. out the door And then I got whipped by the horse that I tried to ride and I had to watch all my friends go around in the arena and I had to sit on my own and watch everybody. It was very traumatic.
1: That's that's, that's a really traumatic story. I feel your pain. 62, if case you're interested, that's me. 62? I'm definitely in the 60s because whenever I look for hats, the same thing, I go to a shop and I know, as soon as I look, I go, yeah, they're not going to fit. You got anything in in, in a 60s? No, or, I can't remember what I am, but I know it's a 60-something or a sixty.
0: I'm with you. And when I I'm find a you. shop
1: that has them, and there is one in London, I'm like supermarket sweep. I just go crazy and fill up. Um...
0: An expensive I mean, miller. Try- that's what we have to go to before people with giant heads. I'm trying heads. to work
1: out. If I look at you now on screen, I'm trying to work out, are you leaning forward or is your head that big? Oh, I see. Right, that's <laughs> That's good. Yeah. It does look massive because you're leading in. That's true. I've got a pea head. I'm just,
2: yeah. I'm just floating behind her, this tiny right.
1: little head.
0: Hamish does tall. have a really, really small head. It's like a pin. Yeah, plate. you look like
1: the cushion and he looks like the pin. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we'll get back to drinking. We'll get back to that. But I know you, you've always said
2: you weren't ever a problem drinker, right? You sort of gave up just for, for health reasons rather than reaching that rock bottom. But researching your story and your upbringing in your childhood, a lot of the things that you've mentioned are like similar to ours with regards to it would drive you to drink. Your parents ran pubs. You mentioned that you've had deaths in the family from alcohol. You moved 16 times before you were 18. So you're constantly changing schools, having to make friends. The way that Vic made friends at school was drink. The way I made friends at school was be the class clown. I imagine you maybe did both. How did those early years of yours influence your drinking?
1: The the main one, obviously, is the pub. we, We grew up in pubs from about the age of, I don't know, I was probably about six or seven until about the age of twelve you know so quite formative years in terms of I don't remember much before the age of six so everything before teen years was alcohol you know in terms of my we lived in the pub so and this was in the 70s and early 80s and so back in the day there was there was a, a, a legal requirement to close the pub at uh, I think it was between the hours of three and five which sounds quite bizarre now this idea that we go. It's very important that we close the pub between the between two hours because I've always been gobsmacked by the whole hypocrisy on alcohol, this idea that what they're saying is it's not perfect. There's, there's something, it's got to be controlled. I mean, that's straight away. You've got to go, well, you've got to ask yourself about that straight away because you don't do that with other things, do you? You don't go, you can have broccoli whenever you want, but you're not between the hours of three and five. We don't want to push it. <laughs> you? So the pubs used to close. And what that meant was a lot of the mm. pubs had lock-ins. So my parents, like a lot of pubs in the 70s and 80s, would let the regulars stay. And then you shut the curtains and the, and the shutters or whatever and make sure no one could see in. And then you could carry on boozing. Now, I think that, again, it, I think the rule are, if you're giving them drinks, it's not a crime. But if they're paying for drinks, then, then obviously it becomes illegal. Suffice to say, a lot of pubs just kept open yeah. all the time. And, of course, that didn't stop at 11 o'clock when the pubs had to legally closed. Carry on till two in the morning as well. So it was, it was a really big boozy culture which I grew up in, and I was in the pub all the time. I was playing pool and darts and getting to know the locals. I didn't drink obviously I was a child, but I was I was surrounded by it. In a lot of ways, I mm. saw the positives and the negatives. Although I'm very careful mm. to to use those words, I look at, mm. back and sometimes used to think I'm seeing the positives and negatives in the sense that very community spirited. Mm situation where we lived on a council estate but we were the pub of the council estate so everyone from the council estate would come to this pub and it was new as well when we got the pub it was brand new so the council estate was like yeah we've got a pub now so it was a real focal point for people to come chat and have fun and of course fight let's not forget the fights (laughs) yeah like on a regular basis fighting so i remember both the fights my dad constantly trying to throw people out of the pub
2: can you remember At that young age, were you more aware of the positives or the negatives? Were you going, I fancy a bit of this when I come of age? Were you going, oof, alcohol turns people nuts.
1: I have no conscious memory at that time of thinking anything other than everything is normal, isn't it? You sort of, even though I knew no one else lived in a pub, you still can't appreciate other people's. You just think everyone has your life. And that sounds odd because I know not everyone lived in a pub. You assume that's normal you assume everyone out in the world either lives on a council estate yeah. or the pub of the council estate because that is your world you know and even you know you know on a conscious level that's not yeah. true you probably think that's all that's your only reality i mean what i would say is i for years would say it's the least likely job i would do i couldn't do anything worse than running a pub yeah so it obviously had a negative impact overall <laughs> um, but of course my parents split up as well yeah. probably well that you get involved in the alcohol uh, world yourself if you're running a pub you know so they, they the alcohol itself had a, had an issue with uh, had an effect on them but also just the if they would have been completely sober and never drank and ran that pub I suspect the marriage would have been under threat anyway because it's a very intense life running a pub it, you live and breathe it from the minute you wake up to the minute you go to bed yeah, so busy. I, I always said you know there's no way I'd ever run a pub and that's still now obviously now I don't drink even more so but...
0: Do you think your dad sort of hid a drinking Problem by owning a pub? So I think often You know we didn't own a pub but my parents Drinking as well, it was kind of hidden within The party and I grew up in this sort of frivolous Style of drinking which I thought was normal but I was wondering whether people that own pubs Do you think that they create that environment Because it's something yeah, that maybe. they did to I do mean, all the didn't... time as well
1: In the 70s and 80s The idea that perhaps You should limit how much you're drinking Never seems to be talked about it's, It would be like saying you know I always try to compare everything with smoking. I saw an advert the other day on a documentary where the Flintstones, the cartoon characters from the Flintstones, are smoking cigarettes in an advert. Barney and Freddie sort of going, Ah, you know, Marlborough, children's characters advertising cigarettes. That's how normal it was in the fifties. So if you think if you add twenty years onto that and then say the seventies, and bearing in mind how fine alcohol is with cigarettes in terms of the way it's perceived. Of course no one thought it was a problem to have a drink. Not, not in the slightest. It was just, the only thing that stopped, you should watch how much you drink probably, was because, you know, you were running out of money. And be careful how much you drink, you've got to buy some food this week as well. Mm. It wouldn't be anything to do with your health or your, it was just, it was just such a cultural, everybody just had the drink. Certainly where I was, they have been in a pub. So he wasn't so much hiding it. I don't think he thought, oh, I want yeah. to drink more but I don't want to be seen to be drinking so much so I better run a pub. You would have just drunk anyway wouldn't care about stuff like that I just thought he thought it'd be good good fun
0: I know Hamish has gone a bit um, spiritual since he given up drinking I'm a bit more of a sceptic or a pessimist and of course we've both listened to your podcast Don't Believe It's Not Buddha or I, can't. I can't believe it's not Buddha I can't
1: believe it's not Buddha
0: <laughs> I can't I'll have to edit that bit out
1: That's <laughs> <laughs> That's turning
0: but you kind of did sobriety the other way roundly, Lee. Is that right? You sort of started with spirituality, then meditation and Buddhism and veganism. And now you're a veggie, I think. And then finally sobriety. Why do you think it happened that way round?
1: Yeah, well, first of all, I'm not, a, I am you know, definitely a vegan, not a veggie now. Uh, but I've gone through different phases with this. It depends when you ask me what I've gone through. Phases of being a uh, pure vegan, yeah. then I've gone very vegan, then I've gone back to a bit more vegetarian, You know, so it's swayed a bit over the years. But what was your question, why did that happen, the Buddhism? Most people that we seem to speak to start with
2: sobriety and they're like, oh, I've got all more time on my hand, I'll pick up a new hobby, I'll get more into meditation, I'll have a look at some spirituality, right. and yours has sort of been a, a reversal of that. So I'm just interested in sort of your, your path of getting there.
1: I've definitely, it, I know that's true because I've tried meditating whilst drunk. I know I've done that and that doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah it wasn't like the drinking it but well, nothing was overnight it was everything was very gradual so it all morphs into one thing really so I can't remember timelines all i all I know is that I was I went for a walk with my mate Rob Bryden, who I do would I lie to you with and he said he goes you know Jerry Seinfeld who he, he loves Jerry Seinfeld. I, I love him as well but he really loves Jerry Seinfeld he goes he, he's really into meditating and I'd heard about meditating and I thought whenever you hear like somebody that is in your world Doing it you know comedy you go oh right okay just i just assume that was for people who shaved their head and wear orange robes mm-hmm. you know and so when i when i heard jerry seinfeld did it like rob we both just had a go at it you know we sort of had a go and that was that was roughly what it was like for the next i don't know three or four years just having a go it wasn't um some big spiritual thing It was more like a lifestyle choice like doing a bit of exercise it wasn't uh, Sort a profound, life-changing, religious feeling through the meditating. It was just something I did. And yeah. it probably felt that it, it had beneficial effects, but not... But then we got more... Me and my mate, another mate of mine called Neil, did, went more deeply into it by like reading about meditating, which leads to Buddhism, and then you start sort of asking yourself why you're meditating. What's the point of meditating? What was it really about? And that's when the podcast came about. But I should point out that I can't... I get people all the time saying to me, so you're a Buddhist, are you? And I... I really can't say that I'm a Buddhist, because I'm sure a Buddhist would look at me and go, you're definitely not a Buddhist, you know, but I'm definitely interested in that world. I've done a podcast about it. I've done lots of reading about it. And, I, and I've, I've. let's just say if I was aligning myself to a religion, some people say it's not a religion, it's a philosophy or whatever, but I would, it would be Buddhism more than anything else. Is that vague enough for you?
0: Yeah, that's good. So
2: yeah, what I want to ask was, doing the spirituality, doing the meditation, then Alan Carr's book comes into your into your life, which is you've described it as sort of the the thing that changed it all who who recommended it or how did you come across it?
1: I came across the alan Carr book uh and again, for people listening, we're not talking about the comedian car. They should always make that <laughs> yeah. very clear with this conversation. It's very confusing for some people, <laughs> yeah, likewise, if the person who's telling you to stop smoking. There's a tight one-and-a-half-hour set on tour. I wouldn't bother going to see that. <laughs> uh, um, mainly because longer with us. Um, but, yeah, so my... I first came across the Alan Cardin because my wife used to smoke uh, and we were going to try for kids and that seemed like a good time for her to say, right, I don't, don't want to smoke anymore. We are going to have kids. And she... I thought she would she's what you would call a fairly committed smoker. <laughs> you know, she was, she, she really went for it, you know. And uh, so I didn't hold out much hope that we were, she was going to stop. And then there was these things, she heard about these things called Alan Carr Clinics, where you go and you you have a session with them, just one session, one hour, and you walk away and you don't smoke again. Um, and if you do smoke again, you can go back and, Either get your money back or carry on going to the thing until it works. And they, they claim that the hit rate was, I can't remember what it was, but let's say they said it was 80%, 90%. It was high. I thought, that's a bold claim for one hour session, you know, whatever it was, two hours session. And she never smoked again. Um, wow. And it worked. And and then there's a book that comes with it, or I think the book actually came first. And then I just heard or saw it on a shelf one two years later, there was one about alcohol. And the interesting thing is, for the for the uh, for the smoking one, it's called something like Alan Carr's How to Quit Smoking or Stop Smoking or whatever. Mm. The alcohol one is called How to Control Alcohol. Mm. And then, and as you're reading the book, you get about halfway through, and there doesn't seem to be anything about cutting down or whatever. It's just about stopping completely, and. Mm. And that's when he adds halfway through the book. He says, Well, at this point, you've probably realized it's not about controlling it, it's about stopping. And he basically says, I, I can't can't sell a book called Stop Drinking because nobody wants to stop drinking. Everyone wants yeah, to stop yeah. smoking, nobody wants to stop drinking, it's the general rule of thumb. So you call a book stop drinking, no one's gonna buy it. You buy a book called Stop Smoking, everyone will buy it. But of course, that's so it's a sort of con. You conjure into buying it, then halfway you go. No, yeah. there's no the only way is to stop. If you want to control mm. it. The way you control it is by stopping it. Because his theory is based on the idea that you're never in control in the first place. As soon as you have a drink, you have no control over it. That's yeah. the basic theory to this. Is this is why... And again, I'm quoting from the books. I'm not saying this is necessarily what I think, but I do think it. Yeah, I'm just trying to you know, push it on someone else in case anyone disagrees with me. Is <laughs> that you, once you have the drink, the first drink, that how much you then drink is sort of beyond your control, Mm. because that's not how addiction works. And again, you then get into a problematic area where people go, yeah, but I'm not addicted to it, so that doesn't bother me. Whereas, perhaps Alan Carr's book would argue, you are addicted to it. This is what I find fascinating, the idea that Mm. if you ask people why they drink, they will give you so many reasons. The list is huge. It'll be, because I love it, or I I really like it, is number one. Which isn't really answering the question, is it? Why do you do it? Because I really like it. You say, oh, yeah, but why do you really like it? What, mm-hmm. what, is, what do you get from it? You know? And then you will get all sorts of things. I get uh, to be social or I uh, suffer from stress. There's a million reasons why people will say that they drink. But the one thing that you will hardly ever hear is because I'm addicted to it. You know? mm-hmm. that's, a, that's an answer that is very, you, know, you just ask people. And see what they say. In fact, don't ask people because it just causes arguments. Just get on with your life and ignore it. it's an uncomfortable conversation, isn't it? (laughs) Oh, it is.
2: What did your drinking look like the day you picked up that book? Then
1: I would say that by again, I'm reluctant to say these words because I've I think so differently about it since reading the book. But by society's uh, standards, I would be what we classed as a normal drinker. I think you know. So if I'm guessing that if the average Person who drinks, saw what I was drinking at that time. They go, yeah, that's sort of what I'm like. It's very hard to say, isn't it? Because the obvious question is, well, how much did you drink? And you go, well, I can't answer that because what day are we talking about? What week? What month? You know. So it, especially in my job where there's no consistency, I'm not working nine to five. So there'll be one period perhaps where I'm on tour for three months. Then there'll be another period where I'm a, I'm not working at all for three months. Then there'll be another period where I'm I'm doing a completely different job, you know. So every situation is different for me to say what was was an average. Mm -hmm. But opening a bottle of wine in front of Netflix and realizing that I've I've opened a second one, you know, wasn't unusual. But it's also true that I'm not sitting drinking on my own. I'm drinking with my wife, so Mm -hmm. just very hard to quantify. And it doesn't really matter to me. I, I don't. For me, it was more about my attitude to whether I was drinking one glass or a million glasses.
0: Were you always looking forward to that sort of of end-of-the-day relaxing wine? Because I know it's so interesting that we look forward to that one drink, and it's obviously that one drink that causes the damage. And I, I was very much like you, and I think even Hamish, who we call the normal drinker, was very much like that. We kind of had this reward at the end of the day. But, of course... That was never the reality of it. There was never just one glass of wine. It was the bottle and then the second bottle. Do you think your drinking escalated as you got older? Do you think you became more immune to that one glass and wanted more? Um,
1: It's very hard to say, isn't it? I don't think it did escalate because I remember... I'm sure I remember in my early 30s thinking, I think I've just opened a third bottle of wine. And I never remember that later. I think it was more at its peak perhaps in my early 30s because I was younger and more able to do that. And also during that period, I was on the circuit, which meant I was working predominantly sort of Thursday night to Sunday, sort of that long weekend feeling. And then, you you know, you, you can't drink as much because you're driving home or you're getting back at midnight after having done three or four gigs. So um, it meant that I had Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday, sometimes Thursday as well, of four days of literally nothing. And so it didn't matter if I stayed up till three in the morning. So I was happy to open that first glass because knowing that it might lead till three in the morning drinking. But again, I'm not saying that was all the time.
2: Because I would always assume it'd be a drink before going on stage, go on stage and then one or two after the show to, to sort of calm back down. But I guess if you're driving yourself, was the, the nights when you were performing, the nights where you definitely were never drinking then was it the opposite
1: it's just hard to do that because you're i mean first of all i've i mean i have been on stage drunk once and i'll never do that again it, it's funny you are mentioning al murray there i went out with al and the mighty boosh in i think it was the late 90s at the edinburgh festival and we had an afternoon drinking session and i was having a particularly bad edinburgh i used to share flats with julian and noel from the Mighty boosh. And they they were always having a great time. The Edinburgh Festival loves the booch, mm. whereas mm. they just they didn't love me. I mean, eventually we we won them round after a couple of years. But on the first couple of visits to Edinburgh, you know, it's I was living with the successful people, and I was the one that was wasn't doing great. And I just had enough. So one day they said we're going out for a drink. I said oh, I'll I'll join you. I'm fed up with this bloody festival. So i absolutely blottoed. And then Julian, Noel and Al came to watch me do a show, my show. And it was just, I mean, it was humiliating. It was so, it wasn't particularly great show that year anyway. But add on to that, that I'm now drunk. It was like a disaster. How was that hangover? Yeah, pretty rotten. I'd sort of given up that that festival anyway, but yeah, it was pretty, pretty rough. And also I noticed when I started doing it, how much free booze is nothing about me. The amount of times you go to a a gig and they say, there's often vouchers and stuff. You get three vouchers for the bar Mm. or you get drinks in the dressing room. Suddenly, it became everything became free as part of the job, and so you. And it's the same in telly, you know. You go to a a green room after a show; there's free booze everywhere, you know. And it's just, uh, I'm always fascinated. I always try and associate everything with booze with fags, you know. Imagine if they said, you know, uh, enjoy the show. uh, What would you like for dinner? And just so you know, in the cupboard over there, there's as many cigarettes as you want to smoke. You go, that's a bit weird, isn't it? What's that about?
2: Yeah. I do. I do the same with drugs. Yeah. i I'm like, imagine alcohol's a drug, and they're like, oh, you know, go backstage and there's yeah. heaps of heroin. You know, like, we've got free heroin. We've got whatever you like. Yeah. like. Alcohol is a drug, really. Like, it's a potent thing that is normalised to hand out for free to anyone you want. It's
1: not. Uh, it's not a question of alcohol is a is a drug, really. Alcohol is a yeah. drug, full stop. And that and that's it. And it's just and and but you know, so is caffeine. You know, everything's got an addictive quality to it that you know it's not the only recreational drug that's that's legal and addictive but it it definitely has different rules I, I mean alcohol is is a is a weird one when it comes to the rules the social rules around it the social norms around it you know
0: I guess we don't run down the high street with a traffic cone on our head in our underwear when we drink coffee. Although, I don't know. Uh, Hamish Miss: oh, yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah, Maybe not the first coffee, but the second one. The yeah. second one. Oh,
0: many ones after yeah. two.
1: But it's interesting. In answer to your question, do I, do I enjoy, going, enjoy looking forward to that drink at the end of the day? Yeah. That's one of the things that probably, if I had to pick one bit that made me go, I'm going to try and focus on that if I want to stop drinking. It was that subject because actually what I soon realised was from, from reading about it was that it takes quite a while for the alcohol to get into your bloodstream. Yeah. I don't know what it is exactly, but let's say it's 20 minutes, five mm, minutes. Yeah. And yeah, if someone said, what's the best drink? You go, you've worked all day, Friday night, six o'clock. The amount of times I remember sitting in the sun after, say, a day's writing. And there was this particular pub I used to go to and I'd sit in the sun and I'd get a pint of lager and I'd do that and I'd go... Ah, it's that feeling of, oh my God, that's instant. That is just perfect. That's worked instantly. But it doesn't actually make sense because it takes 20 minutes mm, for it to get yeah. to your bloodstream. So that can't be what. It's purely psychological. Absolutely. Yeah. It can't be the drug because it's not, it can't get into your bloodstream that quick. So then you start analysing it, right? And then you think, well, if that's not what's causing it, what is causing it? And then there's a lot of people that believe that it's. It's other things. Like, for example, it's the first time you've sat down all day. It's the first time you've had an ice cold drink all day. It's the first time you've been with your mates all day. There's so many other things that are happening in that moment. But because of the way addiction works is that you assume that it's because of the drug alcohol, that you then go, it must be that that's doing it. Because that's the power of drugs, in the same way as that people go, I smoke to be social. People used to say that's a perfectly valid argument, people believe them. Why do you smoke? Because it's, it's, it makes me social, more sociable. Now, we look back now, because we've changed our attitude towards cigarette, and we just go, ah, it's fucking nonsense, isn't it? It's mental, is it? go, so, no. sorry, I'm allowed to throw in your podcast. Yeah. Yeah. That is absolute nonsense, because people now accept it. People go, why did you smoke? I smoke because I was addicted to it. I'd rather stop. That's pretty much why everyone says now that smokes, don't they? But... We still haven't got the reboots. We still go, oh, no, there's, there's other reasons I do it. It, it immediately makes me relax. You know?
0: I, think, I think we forget sometimes that, you know, I always thought that going out was about drinking and something I've had to learn in sobriety is to enjoy the simple things, which is the environment that I'm in and the friends that I'm with. And the nice, simple things that are surrounding me are actually what makes me happy. And I feel like, God, I wasted 25 years downing pints to make me happy. Whereas, in fact... Now I realised that wasn't what was making me happy. Mm. It was the people I was with and the music that was on and all the things that I can still get satisfaction from now.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the two, the two things that I think I've just explained, I said, all right, well, I'll do a deal with myself, which is when I go to the pub, if it is because it's the first time I've had a nice cold drink or with, with my mates or whatever, if that is the real reason, simple simple solution, isn't there? I'll try it. What I'll do is I'll go and the deal I'll have with myself is that the first drink is a pint of Ice cold blackcurrant and soda or whatever, and then after that I'll do our one. That was my deal with myself. So I did, and what I found quite fascinating was that once you still get that moment of going, ah, because you're with your mates and you've relaxed and you've got an ice cold drink. And once that drink, I'm not saying I didn't drink, but I'll tell you mm-hmm. what, that diff, the, the different attitude I had towards that first pint I then had did massively change because then you go it didn't quite have the same effect. It didn't quite have that moment of, ah, now everything's all right feeling because I'd already had that from a pint of black oranges juice. So it's like that's all I would say is if anyone's thinking of packing it in for a while or trying it, just start by doing that. Just go out and have a pint of anything other than booze to start the night and then I'll drink as much as I want after that. and just see the difference in that first drink.
2: Lee, you said this thing, this exact description of that first drink and it taking 15 minutes on a podcast that I heard a year or two before I gave up, and I've never forgotten it. I was always like, that story and the way that you've just described it always rung true with me, and I was a normal drinker like you, and I've got no doubt that the way that you describe it will land with other people who are on the on the fence, whether or not to give up or not, because it's so true. You can't argue with it. Everyone knows that feeling. Everyone knows that, ah, end of a Friday feeling.
1: But also, it's a very easy, it's also a very easy thing. I mean, especially in the modern age of really good non-alcoholic yeah. beers. You know, you, I was having to do a pint of blackcurrant because <laughs> there wasn't anything else. There really wasn't much. Uh, it's in the last, literally in the last three or four years, it feels like that some really good products have come out that are way beyond anything that's been in the past in terms of quality. I had my first pint of draft lager in a pub the other day. Of non-alcoholic lager, which I don't. Lucky Saint, which I think a lot of people drink, and Lucky Saint, it's an interesting yeah. one to say because it isn't actually zero alcohol; it is negligible. So, you know, there's another debate. But uh, the I, I know that I know why I'm drinking it. If that makes sense, I don't. I don't. Uh, mm. it, if they said tomorrow it's zero alcohol, which I've drunk a lot of,
0: I think it's the same as a banana, isn't it? It's the same that's as what a, we're told, It's yeah. the same as zero point zero five is the same as a banana.
1: All oh, right, well that's good. I might try. I might. I might yeah. try that if I ever get done for drinking and driving. I might just say, you know, yeah. no, no, yeah. Just, <laughs> I've eaten four, four, four bananas. That's all I've done wrong.
2: <laughs> Lee, to touch on the stand-up for a second, it's always, it's always struck me that you know stand-up is unusual and that you are performing often to a room full of drunk people. But the writing process is very much, you know, often solo, at home, very much sober. How did you find going sober affected the sort of performance aspect of your of your career? Now, how different was it performing with alcohol was no part of your career?
1: The performance side is absolutely fine because I, I was one of these people that just learned very early on. If I've had a drink before I was on stage, I'm just not as good. Now, some people might not be the, might not be the case with some people. Some people might think they're absolutely brilliant or they might... I don't know. I don't know what the relationship is with on stage, but I learned very early on. I'm just not as good if I've had a drink because it's yeah. just everything's just a bit more numb, is not it? So you're not as sharp. You're not responding to hecklers as quickly. Certainly the writing, forget it. I mean, if I've tried, I've tried writing yeah. with a, you know, with a glass of wine or a bottle of wine and it's just, it just isn't as good. Um, mm. it, of course it isn't as good, if you think about it. What it does is it numbs yeah. you a bit. So if you're numbed a bit, then of course it's, you know, that's not a conducive for being on the ball and working, is it? I mean, that's just common sense, really. I don't mm. know many jobs where you go, the boss has come round and gone. You say, you're doing a great job, guys, but I really need to insist that you just drink a little bit more during work, working hours because <laughs> yeah. I want productivity yeah. to go up. You know, you certainly don't get it at, that, at hospitals or or, you know, in Silicon Valley, do you? No. Those little tiny microchips you're doing. I just need you to be a bit more pissed when you're trying to solder them on. Yeah. They probably don't solder them on. I don't yeah. know. Not
0: my- They're probably all wasted in Silicon Valley. Yeah, <laughs> Did you find that
2: your, that clarity of mind of never being hung over, of never having alcohol in your system, that your productivity increased or that your writing style changed, that you know that you effectively got better at, at the writing aspect of your job?
1: Yeah, possibly. I mean, a lot. The number one question you get asked is when you start drinking, do you feel better? That's a question you always get. And I, mm. I always say this thing, which is it's half as a joke, but there's a bit of truth in it. I always go, no, nah, not really. And the reason I say that is because I, I do actually feel a bit better, I think. But I'm trying to make the point that we put so much onto alcohol, positive and negative, mm. that we think it's everything. So I always use the example of hangovers. So when you're drinking. You get a hangover the next day. Now, obviously, people assume that you don't have hangers over anymore because you don't drink. But we put so much onto the booze that we go, oh, I had the best time ever last night because I was drunk. I brilliant, best, best night ever, blah, 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 because I was pissed, right? You wake up the next day, oh, I feel terrible. Why? Oh, because I was pissed. It's always about the alcohol, whether it's brilliant or negative. Mm. But actually, I found that yeah. if I come back at 2 in the morning, having not drunk, which is what I don't do anymore, I still feel a bit almost like I've got a hangover. I'm not saying it's exactly the same, but I still feel mm. a bit rough because I've had a late night. And then you realise that actually some of these feelings you get the next morning are just because you've had a late night. But we're so obsessed to putting everything on the boots, yeah. both positive and negative, that we think it dominates everything. Because that's what addictive drugs do. They make mm. you control every bit of your behaviour. They make you believe that it's responsible for everything. So by not by realising it's not, just the booze that gives you a hangover is the late nights it helps your brain work out that it's not just because of the booze you had a good time in the first place it's almost not it's almost irrelevant is the way i'd feel about booze about like not drinking it's, mm-hmm. it's literally for me like i can only describe it as if every morning i just tap myself on the head with a hammer for 25 years just gently not like to the point where i'm knocking myself out just banging it a little bit I go, oh that's an uncomfortable feeling and after 25 years i stopped people go do you feel better I go, well, it's sort of irrelevant. I just didn't, I realised the stupidity of it. It was a bit annoying, but I, I don't feel, I just feel like I do everything the same and I'm not tapping myself on the head with a hammer. And that is your trailer.
0: Yeah. There, it <laughs> there it is. Alcohol yeah. tapping yourself on the head with a hammer. It's funny how like what you're saying <laughs> is like how no one questions that. You know, I I began questioning my alcohol intake, you obviously did, and I think a lot of people in the world, they, that that hammer is tapping them on the head for a very very long time. And it's such a shame that people just don't go, why am I doing this, you know? Yeah. I guess that's what this podcast is about, is to say like maybe question you tapping yourself on the hammer for 25 years. Well,
1: mm. well, I think I didn't I didn't I've used that analogy before and I don't think I've explained it very well then. What I actually mean is if the way I think the brain, human brain works, if you went out on a night out, and during that night out you started tapping yourself on the back of that hand or on the head, just gently like that, with a hammer, every time you were in a positive social situation. I honestly believe that the mind works in a way that you go, why did you have such a good time last night? You go, well, because yeah. I was hitting myself on the back of the hand with this yeah. hammer all the time. Because every time yeah, I hit myself yeah, yeah. on the back of the hand it's with a hammer, brilliant. I'm having a brilliant I'm having a brilliant time. Yeah. Yeah. And you go, Association. yeah. Have you ever considered you're having a brilliant time? You just happen to be hitting yourself on the head, on the back yeah. of the hand with a hammer. And that's sort of what I mean. I got mixed up with your own analogy then. It's not just a question of hitting yourself on the other of the It's hitting <laughs> yourself on the other of the hammer whilst you're in a brilliant environment. Yeah, you yeah, know? Yeah. And yeah. then one day you go, so you go, so now that you're not hitting yourself on the back of the hand with a hammer, what do you do? Because that's what you get asked a lot. What yeah, do you yeah. do? I go, I do everything I do to him. I just don't hit myself with the hammer, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so I would honestly heartily recommend that, going back to what we said before about the, the having that first drink. If you're not out in a pub, that thing of, let's face it, I'd say most people are questioning whether they're drinking too much is probably fitting into the category of the, what we call wine o'clock, aren't we? The people who go, right, it's six o'clock. I'm going to, or five o'clock or whatever, whatever their version is. I'm going to open a bottle of wine. Now it's allowed because it's the evening. I'm Mm. not a problem drinking now, am I? Because I'm, I'm opening it at the correct time. And instead of doing it, that moment you think I'm just going to get the wine out, get yourself a lucky cell, whatever. I'm not, I don't work for them. Get yourself a non-alcoholic beer. Don't get a non-alcoholic wine. They're terrible. terrible. Get yourself a non-alcoholic beer, pour it out, Sit down exactly as you would with the wine, whatever you do during your wine wine drinking first drink. Do that, and then the deal is you can go back to the fridge whenever you want. Mm.
0: Yeah, that's good.
1: Just see the difference with that first drink. Yeah, it does, it changes everything. How long have you been sober now, Lee? Uh, two days,
0: (laughs) about an hour.
1: Imagine if I said all that, all these all miles of wisdom. Yeah, Yeah. I like to do that with the veganism because veganism really. I mean, more than anything, what I know is about booze and veganism. Is if you tell people, they they feel like you're having a go at them. They really do. It's like, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. just did a I just did a TV show, uh, Bob Mortimer and Paul Whitehouse fishing show, um, and I was the guest. And I said, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I I, I can't, I'm a vegan, I can't really go fishing, but I, I love them too. So, and they said, that's all right, I just come on the show anyway, have a chat with us, and it's just a break from the fishing anyway of course, sod's law, Bob gets ill and I fill in for him. And uh, I do the whole episode of not fishing, you know. And I have to explain why I'm not fishing. I can't just not fish. I've got to say why. I can't just say, no, I'm going to go over there, you know. So I tell people I'm a big, God, the reaction was awful, you know, absolutely. <laughs> How angry yeah. people got that I wasn't fishing on the show. They hated it because they feel, that, they, they feel that you're sort of preaching to them. And that's roughly... I can say the same thing about being a vegan as I can about booze. The conversation goes roughly like this: Do you want a drink? No, and no, I don't drink. Oh, why don't you drink? I tell them why I don't drink, and everything eyes is telling me that they think I'm telling them why they shouldn't drink. <laughs> yeah, yet. and they get a bit, they get a bit shirty, and, and I go, "Well, you asked me. I didn't. I didn't say I don't go to people in pubs and go, sorry, can I just have a word with you about why you're having a drink?'" I don't. I only respond to when people ask me. They with being a vegan. Why don't you eat meat? I tell them, I don't eat meat. And then, they, well, we're supposed to eat meat. What well, are you having no meat for? <laughs> yeah. No, I'm not. I'll just say, why I don't. You know. <laughs> why do you eat meat
0: then. Yeah, we have a few answers for that, which is if people ask, one of them is, why are you so obsessed with me?
1: Yeah. <laughs> we why? have a
0: few responses to that question. Why yeah. are you drinking?
1: Well, yeah, mine, mine is always when everyone says, why did you become, whether it's a teetotaler or a, or a vegan, whenever they say that. I always, if they say, why don't you drink? I say, because I found being a vegan wasn't quite sanctimonious enough. So I thought I'd add something else on. You know, just to really, <laughs> yeah. just to double down. Yes. I, always, I always I always slightly like to prod them. I'll always tell, if I see in their eyes that they're not happy that I'm not drinking or I'm a vegan, I will always sort of explain my reasons. But again, only because they've asked, I explain the reasons, but I'll always end it by saying, but listen, this, this isn't you know, it doesn't mean I'm a better person than you. Because I know that's what they think I'm saying. So I just sort of but in a way. I say it in a way that just suggests mm-hmm. I think I'm a better person than them. I give them a yes, pat. Yeah. I, I put my hand on their arm. I put my hand on their arm and I go, this, none of this means I'm a better person than you. And then I might, if they really annoy me, I'll then follow it with, you know, <laughs> they are not the reasons why I am a better person than you. Oh. Just to really double down.
2: The last question we want to ask is, yeah, if there's anyone... Every guest we try and ask whether or not there's a guest that they would recommend for the podcast. Yeah, is there anyone that you think would be... Anyone, you know, in the sort of sobriety scene who you think would be a good fit, who'd want to come and have a chat? Um, you can think about that. You haven't got to think right now. Uh, but yeah, if there's anyone you, you would you would recommend?
1: Well, I'm, I'm quite... Uh, I, love, I love prodding the wasp nest. So if this was my podcast, what I'd be doing is getting someone on who drinks... Who's not having it? Oh, who's yeah. not? Who's not having any of these arguments? He's going nah, they're all wrong. Get one of them on. I've got plenty of comedian friends who drink, and then you can sit there and you can not so much interview <laughs> yeah. them as interrogate <laughs> them. them, and really, mm. really annoy them, really judge them, and really, you know, really just every time they say no, I, I, I drink to be social, you go right, good <laughs> yeah. because I've got a bit of information in yeah. that brews. So that's like, no, that's not true. <laughs> yeah, I just throw that. all the facts at them. You know, yeah. Yeah. I just that's watch A good get angry. But in terms of the writing, you know what? It, the boring answer to that, if I'm going to be honest, is probably the people yeah. who make the Alan Carr book. You know, Alan yeah. is no longer with us, but the actual people who who run that for me—that was the, that's the book I always go. It, the good thing about that book is, if you're a drinker, is it tells you to keep drinking when you're reading the book. So you read the book, and it says if you're drinking now, don't stop. Whatever you do, don't really? stop drinking. Keep the glass in your hand. Read the book. Yeah, and that's so that's a good start for someone who likes to drink, isn't it?
0: Our sound guy, Alan, just read Alan Carr's book. But he's still drinking.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he didn't, didn't, have a,
0: didn't have the same... ...didn't have the same effects on him, did he? He's like, I what a load of I, shit. I,
1: I find that people who work in sound engineering, he's probably looked for the pictures and not read any of it. Yeah. yeah, I totally
0: agree. I don't or, think,
2: or, I don't think or, he can or, read. Well, he's, he's reading it very slowly because it says he can still drink. He's just doing <laughs> yeah. word by word over <laughs> yeah. two, three years. Absolutely. Yeah. There is an
1: audiobook version.
0: Okay, well, we yeah. might have to hand that. I'd plug it into him, yeah, I think. That's yeah,
1: it. Play it overnight. i Have... And, for, and, and there's nothing more gets an atmosphere going than hey guys you're all in the car we're on a long journey let's forget <laughs> the queen's greatest hits album let's yeah. play uh, how to control alcohol yeah. Yay. No yeah I find that stops people drinking because they no longer want to go away for weekends that's yes. it yeah. that's <laughs> it Don't want to get in the car with you
0: <laughs> so true. i realized that
1: but it's not so much that people want to stop drinking when i speak to them they want to stop drinking with me yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. it's funny. The the attitude is incredible, isn't it? I lo- I slightly love it if I'm going to be honest. I, I half and half love it. The, my yeah. favourite one though is definitely when people say, um, "Do you want a drink?" and I go, "I oh, know you're right." And then at some point they realise I keep saying no, so they go, do you, "Do you not drink then?" and I go, "No, I don't." And and you realise at that point there's two reactions. One is to just, "Oh, you know, normal conversation. Why did you stop?" And the other one, which is my favourite. It's that slight glazed-over look of, right, I don't know what to say now because I don't know what we're dealing with here. Are we dealing with somebody who was, you know, <laughs> yeah. lost You know, lost three marriages, well, was waking up in a skit and lost his house, so yeah. I don't want to ask? Or are we talking about someone that yeah. realised they weren't following the last 20 minutes of that Netflix documentary because they've perhaps had one extra glass of wine? So they want to know, yeah. but they're trying to gauge it. They sort of go, yeah. right, right, and they look quite horrified. And I start to enjoy that now by also... It's, I don't help. I just keep the pause going. I thought, I'm insane.
0: Mean, yeah, we do crazy I, eyes. I,
2: I think that is my favourite thing about being sober, is to watch people panic when
1: yeah. you go, yeah, I'm sober. And they go, "Ah,
0: oh, yeah, yeah, me, me. Oh, I should do that. Yeah, yeah you're right. Yeah, I don't drink that much. I yeah, don't so drink that much. You yeah.
1: said that because without even realising you said it, you went, I don't drink. And they go, yeah, yeah, you're right. As if somehow you just told them what they should be doing. Yeah. It's the only thing you put in your mouth and eat or drink. That if you stop doing it, people, you know, you think about anything else. What? What? Do you want cauliflower? I don't. I don't like cauliflower. They don't go. Yeah, yeah. You're right. I I should stop eating cauliflower. They just go. Oh, let's leave it at that, shall we? <laughs>
0: oh God, we could talk to you forever, Lee. You're pretty much on the same page with us, I think, as uh, on the booze front. It is quite frustrating sometimes. It is quite frustrating. thing to sort of be trying to. Talk against because the whole the System. whole of the culture is against us. So yeah, it's hard. But. Yeah,
1: you can't. You. Can, I mean, it's definitely been a shift, but you can't. I learned that very early on. And again, it just. I would, if you haven't read it, I would read the Alan Carr book because the number one, well, not the number one, but one of the things he says is, don't try and tell others why they. Yeah. They, you are completely wasting your time. Just, just don't bother. All you can do is just g- gently push people that want to be. If they say. Oh, I'm thinking of maybe uh, whatever, cutting down on the booze. Then, then I, I will sometimes say, well, that, this is a book that I thought was very good. As opposed to when I first stopped drinking, I think I was going door to door, just yeah. literally going, <laughs> hello, do you drink? Well, you shouldn't. Read that, you idiot. Yeah. You know, that's, yeah. not, a good, that's not a good idea.
0: We have to do it in a subtle way. We, we, our, our podcast is a bit of a comedy podcast, so we try and... It's kind of our little secret weapon is to try and get this message accru- uh, through with a few knob jokes, basically, that's isn't it? it? Yeah, that's kind of... It is immature, probably, but... Make but,
2: them
1: laugh, but remind them...
0: Make them laugh, but sort of <laughs> make them feel bad at the same yeah. time.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, you know, a bit like my stand-up set. You know, I often... <laughs> if I can't make them laugh, I want them to go out feeling bad. So yeah, if if I, if I fail in my jokes, that it's worked because they've gone away feeling awful. You know what I mean? Yeah.
0: <laughs> at least they feel something. Yeah. Whether it's hatred or happiness.
1: I another one to say it's just a little tip. If anyone says to you at a party, "I like, don't drink," and they you must have had this straight. So what do you do? That's a common phrase, isn't it? So what what do you do? Yeah. I've started saying juggling, but but really straight. I don't try and make a joke. I go juggling. I go yeah I, <laughs> yeah. I just find that I juggle now. So I on a Friday night when I finish work, I do a bit of juggling i with my friends in a social situation. Keeps my hands busy. It's entertaining, and yeah. I just, I just really feel that it's, uh, it's a way to chill out, you know. And uh, that's good. And then they go, you know, why juggle tonight? I go, I'm having a night off. Oh, I'm going for it tonight. I'm drinking. If the I'm, juggler. if I'm sad, if I'm
2: grieving or if I'm stressed, right. I just, if just juggle, if juggle if at a funeral. Grieving. helps me get through it. It's my ADHD. I just have to. I just juggle. I just juggle. I can't help it. Forty-three
1: percent. It'd be good if people. I'm convinced that the human mind could get addicted to anything. So if you give, I reckon you could get addicted to juggling because it would be great to just see a widow at a funeral having a little juggle outside going. I just, I just need it to get through the next few hours.
0: It'd be a good sketch. Everybody at the wake.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Someone's got some shocking news. Right, sit down. I've got some shocking. Go and get a juggling balls. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Have a little, have a little go on these, love. I've got some terrible news for you. Yeah. I'm not going to tell you until you start throwing them up in the air. And then she couldn't. Yeah. She's new to it. She can yeah. only do two. If she can't do three. You see, you have to. You have to not tell her yet. go look, I can't tell you what the news. I thought you yeah. could do three. Go on, go not Let's do three. Just say a
2: word every time the ball's in the air. Just give one word. Now nah, pick a mark up. Come on. Go on, let
1: to do three. and Then I'll tell you what's happened to your husband. You what? Nothing. Yeah. And then you just leave. <laughs> Anyway, I'm at Shelf. I'm going to go now because the pubs have just opened. So, fa- oh no, I mean, I'm going to yeah. go Fair now because uh, I'm going to have a glass of water. <laughs> so thank you very much for having me. Good luck in your mission. Thank you, Lee. Thank
0: you for being so generous with your time. We really, really appreciate it. Not at it. all.
1: I look forward to the check. See you later. <laughs> See you, Lee. Bye. Bye,
0: Lee. Bye.
2: So there it is, our chat with Lee Mack, which sounds Really surreal to say, actually. I
0: know. It's so exciting. We're so thankful to him.
2: What really stuck with me from that chat, other than the idea of juggling at a funeral instead of turning to booze, was how matter-of-fact he is about going sober. It doesn't have to be a big deal. Like, it's a huge deal to us. You've written a book about it. We do the podcast every week. But for some people, it's just like, yeah, I gave up because it wasn't great, and now I don't drink anymore. It's not like a huge fanfare to the sobriety, which I thought was quite interesting, quite enlightening. I loved his rationalising of us giving alcohol too much credit, both for the good and the bad stuff in our life. I just think the way that he talks about it all, alongside obviously him being a really funny, witty guy, will really help anyone listening to the podcast who's considering giving up or having a really hard time staying sober.
0: Yeah, and I loved it that he mentioned that fact about, you know, that feeling of, ah, oh, when you yes. want that first beer or that first glass of wine and how it's all psychological. We talk about that a lot on the podcast mm-hmm. and about how the alcohol doesn't hit your system for 20 minutes and how you can still get that feeling from, oh, he had a glass of Ribena, wasn't it, in fizzy water or blackcurrant. Ch- I think it was a cherry something. Yeah, yeah, something, it was blackcurrant or cherry or something that still gave him that feeling and that test that he gave people. I thought that was a brilliant bit of advice. It's, it's advice.
2: a good challenge for it's anyone It's a really good challenge
0: it. if you're thinking about it. Yeah, just try it. Just try and see if you can get that same reaction from a pint of blackcurrant and fizzy water or something. We really are so grateful to Lee for coming on our little podcast. Anyone that can approach this subject with lightness and humour is always going to be a perfect fit for us. And we hope his story reaches the ears of those that need to hear it. Normally we would
2: try and promote a book or a tour or something that Lee might have coming up in the next twelve months. But if you live in the UK, he's probably already everywhere on your TV screens and on your podcasts every day, anywhere. He's pretty massive. He doesn't need us to be like, oh, go buy us tickets at leemac.com. Yeah. <laughs> he's a busy guy. So we're thrilled that he took the time to sit down with us two knobheads for an hour. Havelant oh, was, it was it was surreal, wasn't it?
0: It was surreal. It was very, very exciting. And, and there was a bit of a, a time delay on our answers and our laughing, wasn't there, Hamish, which adds to the awkwardness sometimes, doesn't it? It
2: does. Vic was thrilled that she didn't have to edit this one. I did yeah. because there was time delays. There was bits where like his answer came out at the same time as our question. Yeah. There was bits where we laughed and then he cracked the joke. It was a fucking nightmare yeah. to edit, to be honest. <laughs> it
0: was a real labour of love. But also at the beginning, there's always that moment where you can't hear anyone. Yes, And he's like, I can't hear you now. My voice is reverberating back. So it never starts on the good foot. It's always like, oh, my God, I can't hear you. I can't hear you. This is all falling apart. And it always starts really stressful. And when it's a big star like Lee Mack, you feel responsible Mm. for it all going horribly wrong. We should almost
2: expect that now. It happens. Every time we talk to anyone not in Australia, the first 10 minutes are just a complete shit fight. (laughs) He was very gracious towards us. Thank you, Lee. Thank you so much. And thank you all for listening.
0: If you're questioning your relationship with booze, you're struggling to moderate, or your hangovers are causing anxiety, it might be time to reach out for some support. Yeah, just
2: talk to a mate about how you're feeling, contact a local doctor, find an AA or sobriety group. Vic's got one.
0: Yeah, just head to www.cuppa.community.
2: Remember, if you're questioning yourself, it might be time to seek support.
0: Even though this journey can be awkward, it is definitely worth it. And if you've enjoyed the Sober Awkward podcast, don't forget to review it, rate it, and share it with your mates. Do they have to share it with their mates? Yeah, of course they do. I'm not doing this for nothing, Mish. Bloody hell. How do they share it with Search Therapy Works now wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to make sure you never miss an episode. So, as you probably know, my comedy memoir, A Thousand Wasted Sundays, is officially out. All my magnificent fuck in one awkward hit. If you'd like to get your hands on a copy, it's now available from all good bookstores.
2: We always say all good bookstores, don't we? Yeah.
0: Are, there, are there bad bookstores? Probably ones with moody moody what? sellers. Oh yeah, really yeah.
2: depressed librarian folks. Yes, yes, okay. yes, good.
0: yes. So there are probably some, but we're only storing it in the good ones. It's only
2: made it into the goodies. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you can also get it from all good online retailers. The print version and ebook are out now and the audiobook will be available in March. I've been writing my memoir for five years. It will make you laugh, cry and cringe and hopefully inspire a few people to reconsider their relationship with booze. If you love the podcast, then I think you'll love the book, even if I do say so myself. Hamish has read it. What did you think?